0: Pot Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. Welcome to Pot Stirrer Podcast, Riverside Chats. I am your host, Jay, and I'm joined by my husband, Chuckles. Hi. We did a couple of Riverside Chats episodes, I believe it was back in episode six or seven, with so much going on politically right now. It made sense to do something a little different this episode.
1: If you've never listened to Riverside Chats, it's a special feature episode inspired by President Franklin Roosevelt's Fireside Chats. But it's us, and we're down by the river.
0: Alright, so let's talk about just some things going on uh, in the news right now. So, So right now, there's the whole Stormy Daniels controversy. Like, I think you probably have to kind of be under a rock if you have no idea what's going on with that. But pretty much, like, it was the whole thing with Donald Trump sleeping with Stormy Daniels, who, like, really, she's a porn star? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they slept together while Melania was having Barron. Apparently, there was allegedly a payoff to Stormy to, like, to not discuss it. And she signed a non-disclosure agreement, all that kind of stuff. And so this is something that is come up as a controversy.
1: Realistically, I don't think it matters at all because it was, what, seven, seven eight years ago, long before Trump even considered running for president. And, re- and also, what he does in, uh, in his private time doesn't really, is no one else's concern, really. It's no one else's business.
0: Wasn't the payoff? I'm not sure, but wasn't the payoff during the campaign though? Because I think that that's the controversy.
1: I, mean, I I think that it was, but but the they've only been talking about the payoff somewhat recently. Every, everyone instead is focusing more on the fact that that he slept with this woman at all. I mm-hmm.
0: mean, yeah, I honestly is probably not the thing that I care about completely. What he does in his private life—I mean, he has—he's had a history of cheating on every wife he's had, so it's not really anything new. But I guess the only thing that I think is problematic is that I do notice that—I'm sure you remember—back in the day when Bill Clinton was president, and there was the whole Monica Lewinsky thing, and a lot of conservatives and a lot of like evangelicals talked about how. We needed someone moral in the White House. And the president was defiling the White House by having this affair with Monica Lewinsky. There's so much focus on the, the sex aspect of it. But I kind of feel like with this situation, this is like one of many examples of how Trump is not exactly the most moral person ever. Spent a long time being pretty amoral.
1: But, again, it's two completely different matters, though. Bill Clinton and his scandal with Monica Lewinsky was while Clinton was president at the time. And then, to make matters worse, then he went and he, he lied to the federal grand jury when he was questioned about it. As opposed to Trump, which, again, was several years before he even considered running for president. So, I mean, I, I, can, I can see the parallels, but at the end of the day, it's two completely different scenarios.
0: But I do think, though, that it is worth looking into as far as this money, especially if this is like campaign money, because there are laws surrounding that. affair itself may have been a long time ago, but then trying to cover it up and this NDA, well, not even the NDA so much, but the payoff, I think that that's probably the bigger deal here. Kind of similar to how people focus on with Bill Clinton, it's not so much, oh, he slept with Alinsky. It's that he lied to a grand jury. There's a legal aspect to this with Trump as well that I don't think that we should necessarily ignore that piece.
1: I mean, you're not wrong, but uh, again, I mean, no one actually is 100% sure when the payoff was. I mean, people have talked about it, but at at the end of the day, no one is 100% sure.
0: I mean, there is some sketchiness with that, but then you have Rudy Giuliani, who is now kind of acting as Trump's counsel, pretty much saying as such that, you know, that, okay, this payoff happened. This is how the payoff happened. This happened during the campaign. So, I mean, this is his own guy coming out and saying that, throwing Trump under the bus. <laughs> so, even though he thinks he's helping.
1: Just yet another way that that Rudy Giuliani has showed that he's kind of terrible. Because, cause, again, I don't think he was there, so he has no business sticking his nose into that either because he just doesn't know.
0: Yeah, but Trump asked him to.
1: Yeah, but if Trump asked him to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, do you think he'd do that too? Probably. <laughs> yeah, touche.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the way that people view things... Like some, so right now, we're in the primary season for the 2018 midterm elections. We recently had a primary here in Ohio, and there's several places around the country that are having their primaries over the course of the spring. So I think something that is maybe helpful to talk about is just kind of talking about like the major parties, so the Democrats and the Republicans, and how they might wish to approach the election. With the Democrats, what do you think that they're doing right, and what do you think they might be doing wrong?
1: Quite frankly, I I can't think of much they're doing right other than, than distancing themselves from Hillary Clinton.
0: Okay. So, what do you think they're doing wrong?
1: Almost literally just everything else.
0: So, do you think that with the Democrats, do you think that they should be focusing on their base? Do you think that they need to try to bring in more Trump supporters or something else?
1: I think that they should try to go for their base, but at the same time, they should try to to maybe bring in some of the some of the the Trump supporters that feel a little distrusting of Trump, seeing his antics in the year and a half since he's really been in the White House.
0: So, kind of tell me more about that. Like, what do you think might make some Trump voters? Distrustful of Trump or a little skeptical of what he might bring in the next four years.
1: For example, the health insurance debacle so far that has failed miserably so far is trying to replace Obamacare, but it's been it's been voted down every time. I don't think it's ever actually gone to a vote more than once or twice. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that that was one of his big campaign promises. Was to vote out Obamacare, and here we are, May of 2018, and Obamacare is still around. And not to mention the other big thing is uh, the the Obamacare tax fine if you don't have insurance. Again, it's May 2018, and that's still existing too.
0: I wonder if maybe like some of that is maybe not just Trump, but the Republicans in general may have may have overestimated the hatred that people had for Obamacare because I noticed that once Obama was no longer president and yet Trump in and you had people that start to hear about the Affordable Care Act starting to understand that oh well I don't like Obamacare but I like the Affordable Care Act but they're the same thing there were features that I did like being able to be on my parents insurance until I'm 26 or having plans available that actually covered things.
1: Sure, being able to be on your parents' insurance until you're 26 is all well and good, and that's great. But little Johnny Millennial is going to have a big slap upside the head once he gets out into the real world and has to start paying for it himself with uh, with the premiums that have increased every year.
0: The thing that is helpful to get into, like the why of that, though, the premiums were going up every year, even before the Affordable Care Act. And on top of that, the way that the Affordable Care Act was set up originally was that there was supposed to be some subsidies that were in place. A number of states decided to decline the subsidies. So, I mean, I think some of some of the, the hikes in the premiums, are kind of almost by design by those that were opposed to Obamacare to begin with.
1: But even with the the states that that opted out of the subsidies, even with that, the premiums are still doubling, tripling, in some cases even quadrupling. And these are even states with subsidies. I mean I, I mean I can accept the, the the prices going up a little bit, but to go up by that much is asinine at best.
0: I mean it is, but like I kind of think too that we need that it also points out the need to do something more comprehensive.
1: See, at, at the end of the day, I think that everyone, even if they they still like Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, realistically, it was designed to just to just eat itself from the inside, and that's what it's doing. But there needs to be a plan in place to replace it when it eventually dies out by its own doing.
0: So, what do you think that should look like?
1: Something maybe along the same lines, but without the the set in place readiness to to, to die out so quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the challenge is, is that I mean, the plan is really supposed to be a conservative plan. The whole idea is to make sure that rights covered because, or at least as many people as possible are covered, and the fine is in place to make sure that people comply because. It kind of goes back to the whole conservative idea of, oh well, we don't want to have to pay for all these other people because like, like I've heard people say like, well, why don't we just go back to the way things were? Because even if you didn't have insurance, you could just go to the hospital and you know like go to the emergency care and you know they'll take care of you. Number one, they'll take care of you well enough for you to be able to go home. But that doesn't help if you have a chronic illness that is going to require more comprehensive, more invasive care. But like the other thing is, too, is that when people are going to the hospital because they don't have insurance, most of the time, so, so those bills are generally really expensive. Who's going to pay for that otherwise?
1: I just want to go back to the, to the fine real quest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, a lot of people opted to just pay the fine instead of having the insurance, because at the end of the day, the fine is a lot cheaper than paying the monthly rate for your insurance, and that's problematic in and of itself.
0: So, I mean, I think that it kind of shows, though, that there needs to be something else.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that come tax season next year that there's not going to be the fine, because it's ridiculous to expect that to have that as like some little caveat like oh hey sign up for for this expensive insurance or guess what you get to pay a fine that's not cool
0: well the whole idea though is that if you can't afford it there's are supposed to be subsidies in place but again the things that were supposed to happen that was supposed to make it doable for most americans were not put in place and were intentionally sabotaged
1: and again though even with the subsidies it's the same thing the the plans are still expensive, uh and people would still rather just pay the fine and i I don't blame them, but I think it's ridiculous to even ask these people to shell out that much for having not paid for some over expensive insufficient
0: health insurance plan. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to the fact that number one, like health insurance tends to be in general over inflated anyway. Yes, like technology, it costs money to innovate. It costs money to for the doctors and the nurses and the other staff to care for you, right? So there is that. There there are real costs, but then but there are there is some overinflation there. I mean, like twenty dollars for Kleenex, or I mean like sometimes like if you look at itemized receipts of how much it costs, there's there is some inflation. I guess my question is, what do we do about all of that?
1: The president and an equal number of Democrats and Republicans need to sit down, set their differences aside for a couple of hours, and talk it out, and come up with a decent health health insurance plan that will be good enough for people, that will cover the, uh, the pre-existing conditions, and will give someone suffering from some sort of either a chronic illness or even, God forbid, a terminal illness, the peace of mind to know that once they eventually, unfortunately, pass on, uh, that their family won't be left with bills upwards of a million dollars.
0: So, what about having universal health care?
1: I think that would be great, but uh, there would also be some, some issues with that that, that that they would need uh, to iron out like the fact that like in Canada with their universal healthcare system unless you get really lucky you're going to have to wait a while to see your doctor.
0: There's no perfect system, but I guess the way that I look at it is that the rest of the western world has some form of like universal or nationalized healthcare. And the thing is is that yes there's constant like sometimes there are like there's there might be more waiting and there are those types of issues. But at the same time, everyone's covered and you don't have to have like your insurance tied to say your employer, for example. The thing is is that like, if you have a job right now, if you have a job that offers insurance and you're on that insurance plan, that's, that's all good and well, right? But then if you lose your job, like, because things happen, if you lose your job, then There goes your coverage. There's COBRA, but like I can tell you, like COBRA is ridiculously expensive. Like a lot of times when people lose their job, their insurance goes with it. And then they have to go and find another job and then get, and then they may have to wait 90 days before they're eligible to get on the insurance plan for their current employer. If you're someone who is blessed with great health and nothing is wrong with you, that's awesome, right? That'll work. But if not, if you do have chronic conditions or you do have conditions that need to be continually monitored, or even if you think you're healthy and then something happens in between that time period, then you may be saddled with a ton of bills. And that's like, that's something that is, that a lot of people have to worry about. But I think like with having like a universal system, yeah, okay, there's things that are issues, but I mean, I'm not seeing any of these countries dying to have a system like ours.
1: At the same time, going back to, to universal healthcare though, I think that the the big thing that would help is to have some sort of system in place to ensure that it doesn't get exploited like what happens in Canada or anywhere else with a system like this where just, you know, any old, you know, Joe Normal can go to the emergency room for something minor when i mean that's just not right
0: that's true i mean there are issues with that but i think overall though because if you look at the united states we spend the most on health care and yet the outcomes overall for the vast majority of diseases is a lot worse than other countries yeah so i mean i think that if we were to have something to where we did cover everybody right is not necessarily going to be perfect? No. Will, we, will that need to be tweaked? And I mean, a lot of these countries are having to tweak their systems, right? So, I mean, they're not static. Like, so if we at least have everyone covered, then a lot of like, those major issues like having a lapse in coverage or having to have your coverage tied to your employer, I think that that would help, like, that would help a lot of people and actually, like, really kind of free them to be able to be more productive in society, Because then they won't have to worry about, you know, just kind of doing anything or trying to find anything that will cover them, that that will have insurance that will cover them.
1: At the end of the day, I just think that something needs to be done. The most important thing is that both parties get together and they'd be willing to work together for once, instead of concerning themselves with just being reelected.
0: Well, yeah, I think the challenge is that both parties want to. Like politicians in both parties want to be re-elected.
1: Um, of course they do, but they should also spend some of that time actually working for the people instead of working for re-election.
0: hmm I would agree with that. Like, I think if they did work for the people, because I, I feel like if they actually work for the people, then for the most part, the election piece would follow. But focusing on the let me just get in office and then do whatever. That gets ridiculous. But we still keep voting men.
1: It's kind of hard to elect someone worthwhile in when both choices, for the most part, are kind of bad. When they are just pretty much the same thing, just represented by a
0: different animal. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of reelection, <laughs> um, so, you know, these midterms are coming up and. I know, like, we t- like you talked about how the Democrats should focus on their base, but also try to bring in some Trump supporters, especially some that might feel a little bit disaffected. With all the polarization that's going on right now, how do the Democrats walk that line?
1: I guess just finding uh, just some sort of a common ground that they can build on and then work up to, to more complex type issues.
0: hmm so I mean, what what do you think would be a good common ground place to start? Healthcare would be great because I know that there are plenty
1: of people th- that would love to have decent healthcare again, without being under the thumb of Obamacare. You get that worked out to a decent degree, and then you can you can move on from there. Whether it be race relations, just wh- however you want to take it, mm-hmm. or uh, immigration, even. I know that that's, that's, that's a, a big hot-button issue, right? as it has been the, the entire time that Trump
0: has been in office.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the big thing is, and, and I think that this is maybe something for both sides, is there needs to be some honesty about what the lay of the land actually is. We spent some time talking about health care, and I think you and I maybe disagree a little bit on why it's not doing as well as it could be. But we do agree that there should be changed, that there should be something that really works for the people. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Right. I wonder because I kind of feel like and I've seen this when I've talked to friends. I've seen this on social media also, is that I feel like there is an atmosphere where people don't feel like they're being heard.
1: I can absolutely see why people would feel that way. It seems like there are a lot of people that don't get listened to or that feel like their opinions on things don't matter because politicians refuse to listen to anyone other than other politicians in their same party.
0: In the lobbyists. Yeah.
1: Mm. Oh, nah. So pretty much, uh, unless you're a fellow millionaire plus politician, then on either side, then obviously your opinions on things don't really matter to them.
0: There was actually a congressman recently that explicitly said that he's more likely to listen if they have money.
1: I, I recall seeing that. Soon. I can't remember who it was, Maybe but either. but yeah, I mean, that's probably the first time that a politician has said any sort of truth in years.
0: Yeah, I do think that there is an atmosphere of people feeling like feeling like they're not being heard and then feeling like the other side shouldn't be heard. That's kind of what I get sometimes because, so I've seen like a couple of articles recently that kind of touch on this whole idea of listen to Trump voters. I think that the challenge for me coming from my my worldview is that I'm the kind of person I do like to listen to the other side. The challenge that I've had, though, is that I have talked to a number of Trump supporters. And, you know, this isn't just social media. This is real life, too, right? And it's like, okay, so there is a lot of times that economic part, right? So, you know, people talk about talk about it as like economic anxiety, right? So, I mean, there is that part. And I think that maybe the Democrats could hone in on some of that. But then... It's like the more that you get into it with them or the more that you have a conversation, then there's certain narratives that come out that are very problematic. Yet if that gets called out, then you're blamed for calling that out rather than looking at those people for holding those views. So for example where it kind of goes into a dark place is that sometimes these talks will get into scapegoating some group, scapegoating Muslims or Latinos or black people or poor people kind of this idea of, well, I don't want my money to go to those people or, Oh, well those people keep saying things that I don't like or, Those people have these grievances that I don't agree with, but not really trying to see it from someone else's point of view.
1: What I said earlier about politicians works the same way with their voting base, that they should try to to see things from the other party's perspective a little bit and just be willing to work together to, to see... Because, again, if they work together and they find common ground, they're more likely to to get along enough to where they can talk about their issues, their grievances with the other party in a, a, a more peaceful manner. At the end of the day, that works a lot better than yelling back and forth at each other, Oh, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. If they just work together... If they sat down and talked their differences out one by one without getting into these big arguments, in the long run, that works out a lot better. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that people need to be open to hearing things that they don't necessarily want to hear, though. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying that it necessarily should be a name-calling thing, you know, but as far as just deconstructing certain viewpoints and I'm trying to get to what the worldview actually is also like well, what actually is affecting you right
1: but again they need to start with that common ground so that they can be a little more comfortable and then they can expand out into these more divisive views and again work towards understanding as opposed to that argument
0: eventually i think we need to well of
1: course but that, again that's my point though Mm-hmm. But you need to start with the common ground, and then you can transition into the into the rougher ground. Having that common ground in first will make the less common ground a little easier to talk about. But yes, I do agree that, that some that these things need to be talked about. It just needs to be done in the right way.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I think that people need to be open. That's the thing.
1: That's another problem. People on both sides aren't open to hearing about, talking about anything that they don't agree with, whether it be race issues, guns, immigration. If you run up to a hardcore Democrat and you yell right in their face, the Second Amendment shall not be infringed, the Democrat is going to look at that person and be like, wow, what a wacko, what a nut job. But instead, if you walk up to that Democrat, and you say some sort of a common ground that I think that everyone can agree on, and then you'd be willing to shift conversation into something a little more divisive, then again they might you know be able to talk a little peaceably about it and, and you know then it'd be a nice, good conversation that's actually productive instead of the shouting match mm-hmm. that that everyone seems to just be willing and able to get into at the drop of a hat. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: But at the end of the day, I think that people need to set their their differences aside and just work together because no one is willing to do it. Mm -hmm. Politicians,
0: voters, no one. I think that there should be that, but I also think that there should be recognition that some of those differences are tied to real-life things. Okay, so I think, like, for example, I happened to see something on social media recently where someone had talked about how Democrats should put their feelings regarding racism, xenophobia, things like that, aside, and listen to why Trump voters voted for Trump. Which... In theory, okay, listen to Trump voters, right? Okay, I get that. But my whole point, though, like when I responded to a person was like, I get the idea and I think that people should listen to each other, but I don't think that people's lived experiences should be forsaken or, because I mean, this isn't just theoretical for people, right? For example, like we talk about xenophobia, what's happening with with people who are Latino, right? Those that are that are undocumented, they, you know, there's several reasons why people come here without papers, right? Right. But some of the targeting that's happened towards that group, you're hearing now about about the Trump administration wanting to split parents from kids and putting the kids into, what are essentially internment camps. And then on the other hand, you have people who are here legally. who there are these stories of people getting targeted by police because they are, because they appear to be Latino. And so they, since they appear to be Latino, they assume that they are in the country illegally. They're stopped to ask for papers or whatever. And if you're like walking down, walking with your dog down the street, you might not have your your license on you, right? And so people are being thrown in jail that are here legally who are either permanent residents or American citizens. They're locked up for days, weeks, however long, while people on the outside might not know what's going on, or they might be trying to rush to show that, okay, they're here legally, but nobody's listening to them. So we can look at the common ground, and I think we should, right? But I think that there should also be recognition that just because some things are certain things aren't happening to you, like doesn't mean it's not happening to other people and those aren't real things that are happening to them in real life. This is the end of part one. Part two will be released on June 3rd, 2018. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening to Riverside Chats. Check out our website today, HotSwearPodcast.com for previous episodes, special presentations, announcements, merch, and all things Pot Stirrer Podcast. You can find our show on iTunes, Google Play, and most other podcatchers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, give us five stars, leave a review, share, and tell your friends. Thank you for listening and supporting Pot Stirrer Podcast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.